Hey, hey, a bonus edition of Triple's Alley Report. What's going on now is uh, with a Hall of Fame vote to be announced shortly, uh, some writers are publicizing their votes. One of them is Bob Nightingale of USA Today. I always appreciate when writers do that. So we'll talk to him about that and about free agency on Triple's Alley Report. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Sure, my pleasure, Ray. I saw the uh, article about uh, David Roberts signing with the Phillies, and I thought maybe that's going to start the dominoes falling here. Do you see that happening pretty soon? Well, I think they'll be kind of scattered out. I don't think there's going to be a, uh, a big, you know, ebb and flow. Uh, you know, I think Harper and Machado are so weeks away from their deciding, uh, you know, maybe a, a, like a, it holds up the market for like an A.J. Pollock that he'll go to whoever doesn't get one of the big boys is he's probably the next best position player out there. You know, I think, you know, all the other positions, you know, like, you know, Mike Moustakis and those type of guys, uh, I just think there's no real timing. I, I think it's going to be a little bit like last year, Ray, where, you know, they hold off for the, you know, for a price what they get it. And then as, they, as the days get closer to spring spring, something's the best I'm going to do. And then finally, uh, you know, resort to taking the offer, even if it's a, if it's a one-year deal. And obviously, Machado and Harper are still out there, and I guess the White Sox have been talking to them. Maybe the Phillies are in on that. Uh, maybe that's what really causes the dominoes to fall. Do you see that happening? Well, yeah, not too much, right, in the sense where, you know, those guys are, you know, both looking for $300 million, and then there's such a big drop-off after that. You know, like, I don't think it affects the Dallas Keiko, you know, who may get $100 million, and yeah. nobody else is in that vicinity. So I guess I think it's gonna be a sporadic thing. I think if we see a uh, you know a surge of signings, it, it may not be until you know after the Super Bowl, uh, right before spring training, where people start to panic and say, okay, I got to get a team here, I got to find a place to live in spring training, and uh, you know just like right before the holidays, we saw a surge as well. People want to know where they're gonna play, you know, uh, before the holidays so they can relax. So I, I think we'll. We may not see uh, a steady surge of signings until maybe another three weeks from now. That's a little like last year, isn't it? I think uh, the number I saw at New Year's Day, about 200 players still unsigned. So if that's the case, why do you think it's been so slow the last couple of years in developing? I I think it's a – you know, this year was a little quicker in the sense there were more trades, where last year the trade market was so slow to go. Uh, This time I just think that teams – are much more cautious and throwing money out there, saying, you know what, there's so many free agents out there, there's such a glut in the market, we can just sit back and pick and choose uh, and let the price come back, you know, let the price come to us. Or in the past, I think teams were in a frenzy saying, okay, let me outbid this guy and that guy. Now, you know, even a Machado and Harper market, you're only talking about, you know, two, three teams, uh, four teams maximum involved. And so nobody wants to bid against themselves. And I think as we've seen in the last couple of years, you get some great bargains here, you know, right toward, right toward the end before spring training. Yeah, and I, and I think that uh, guys like Farhan Zaidi, who just came on with the Giants, that's kind of the strategy here to slow play it. And you might be able to swoop it and get something. And, and I think in his case, that's probably the way it's got to go anyway because he's still – you know, learning everything about uh, the, the talent that he has in his farm system before he starts uh, making deals. Uh, do you think that works to the advantage of somebody like that? No, it does. You know, the fact that you know the, the Giants do have money, uh, certainly they have openings. It's like you know, you might as well you know sit back and wait. 
Um, look last year. I mean, they waited for Derek Holland. Holland fell in their lap. And he had a, you know, a fine year. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, very solid year in that, in that rotation, popped in the clubhouse. So, you know, I think they think the same thing can happen, uh, particularly for a pitcher. I mean, you know, the National League West is probably the easiest division of pitching, just with the size of the ballparks and lineups and everything yeah. else. So you might really get, you know, a, a couple of real nice pitchers here that say, you know what, I'm going to put up some big time numbers, uh, in, with the Giants. And then hit, hit the crazy mark of the year from now. Yeah, always easier for the Giants to attract pitchers, uh, for sure. But uh, there might be a bat or two that they could, they could attract as well. And I definitely see this, and I, I'm not the only one to notice this, but it, it's like you reach past age 30, uh, teams are really hesitant to give you more than a couple of years now. Yeah, so it's become a young man's game. You know, and I think a lot of that, too, Ray, that's not talking about much is just the, the band of amphetamines. Uh, you know, the PDs, you know, wasn't around forever. Uh, you know, maybe a 20 year period, but amphetamines have been around forever. You know, and I think, you know, with the travel now, it's tougher than ever. Um, players, so many different, so many night games, and then getting to a hotel at five in the morning. I think without amphetamines, uh, it really slows guys down. Uh, you know, certainly without HGH and that kind of stuff, you know, recovery type drugs. So I think it has more of an effect for the uh, middle-aged players now than maybe ever before. Yeah, and I, I think that's a, a, a fair point because, you know, and we're getting the Hall of Fame talk and the, the different eras, but, I mean, you had guys using amphetamines back in the 60s and 70s to not only extend their careers but get through a long season. Oh, yeah, big time. It was just, you know, it was every clubhouse, you know, whether it's pills or in the coffee. Uh, prevalent, and you know nobody even thought twice. You know, it was in press boxes. You know, it was one of those things. Uh, it was almost like chewing gum. Uh, yeah, until they banned that. You know, whatever it's been now, maybe ten years ago, eight years ago. Uh, but yeah, I do think it has an effect on the players. We're just, you know, tough for them to uh, have that same energy. Uh, you know, we're, when you watch games, particularly like Sunday day games, sometimes they can be tough to watch because it seems like the players are just like. You know, really going through the motions. They just don't have that energy as they would, yeah. you know, a, a night game during the week. Yeah, I, I could see where sports writers could use amphetamines once in a while. <laughs> 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 and, 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 you know, they had beer back in the press box back in the day. I, I, I'm glad I wasn't around for that. That would not have been good for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a, a few press box. I remember at Pittsburgh, uh, for sure, uh, can't see, but you know, had hard liquor in the, in the press box. Where, you know, the bars would be open until three or four in the morning, you know, three or four uh, hours after a game, and uh, that was <laughs> the way it was. Yeah, it was definitely a different era. We chatted with Bob Nightingale, USA Today MLB uh, reporter for a long time, and uh, we had him on our radio show, and pleased to have him on Triple's Alley Report today. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking at. Uh, this market that we're talking about, and I, I don't know for the Giants whether uh, we're going to be talking about a big splash. I think maybe we're talking about mid-range as far as free agency or trades, and and probably, and why I mentioned David Robertson, is the most likely deals are with guys like Will Smith or Tony Watson if, if teams miss out on uh, what's left as far as the top uh, relievers like Kimbrell and Ottavino. Uh, then they're more likely to turn to teams like the Giants who have, you know, a couple of pretty well-established uh, relief 
pieces that can help them out. Is that the way you look at it? Yeah, well, it may be a thing, too, where the Giants say, you know, let's we'll, we'll see what happens this year. What if some guys get healthy? What if Longoria bounces back and uh, some of the pitchers, uh, you know, bounce back and have uh, good years? You know, I got Baumgartner, you know, starting the season. Uh, some Marge starting the season on time. So it may be a deal where hold on to those guys until the trade deadline. But I'm with you, Ray. I think, you know, come trade deadline, with as, uh, as valuable as those guys are, uh, the contracts are very reasonable. And those are valuable trade, trade ships. And they get, I think, a lot for, uh, both Watson Smith, and particularly Watson, who's got another year left after this. Yeah. Yeah. I, a guy who would uh, have some cost certainty for sure. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess for, for them, for Bumgarner, you know, it has to be a pretty good deal. There's also a little risk involved there, isn't it? I mean, if it's Bumgarner continues to show some decline, and uh, it, we're not really sure about that because he looked great in spring training last year. He looked like he was ready to roll. Then he had a, that freak injury on the last start uh, of uh, the preseason. But if if there's a little bit more decline there and he loses a little more value, uh, they don't get as much uh, for him at the trade deadline if they fall out of contention, whereas – you know, there's some teams that might still buy in on them now. So, I don't know. It's it's a real 50-50 here. I really understand that. I understand there are reasons to keep him. I understand there are reasons to trade him. But I guess if you're Zaidi, you're doing the actuarial tables on, on all these guys and understanding that there might be a little risk or you might have something to gain. Yeah, you know, I think you keep him uh, in the sense that his trade value is down. Uh, you know, he wasn't the same guy last year when he came yeah. back uh, from the injury. He wasn't threatening guys out, wasn't dominant guy. You know, he went from like a number one starter to uh, like a number three or four type starter. So, uh, you know, if he has a monster spring, then all of a sudden, then I think you start thinking, okay, is someone going to make a nice offer here where he'll probably stay on the trade block from, you know, spring training on to see if someone will meet their price. But I think it's wise to hold on now. Because uh, I think his trade value can only go up. He just didn't have that that good of a year, and he's a better pitcher than that. And he knows it's a lot safer for him too. I mean, he has a big, uh, big year. Someone can cough up some big time money for him at the end in the uh, in 2019. Well, I know he's preparing like heck for for a big year for him in his career. There's no doubt about that. And you know, he's been a bargain for the Giants, even with all the problems in the last couple of years. Everything that he's given to them, it's been an incredible value. Uh, and he was relying more on breaking pitches last year, too, which I found kind of interesting and troubling. So if he's able to revert at least some way back to his, his form and his peak years, yeah, he's, he's definitely got some value to them and to other clubs down the road. It's just, a, you know, to me, Bob, it's just a lot of ifs for the Giants. Uh, a lot of things do have to fall into place in order for them to be contenders. I'm not saying it can't happen, but it doesn't look likely. I mean, you, you look at all the things that have to break for them the right way to get back in contention with the Dodgers. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm not even seeing that happening. I'm, I'm thinking the biggest uh, possibility for them is to be on the cusp of the wild card. And, of course, there are still deals to be made and players to be signed, but that's the way I look at it now. How do you look at it? Yeah, I think you're probably right, Ray. Wildcard makes more sense. But, you know, hey, the Dodgers you know, stunk up into it last April, and yeah. uh, they may have been a couple of weeks away from, you know, milling it in themselves. Uh, Colorado, you know, obviously, you know, uh, played into a tiebreaker. Uh, you know, 
and uh, things went right for them. So you never know. I mean, it's a good division to be in because, you know, the Padres, uh, you know, still rebuilding. Now Arizona's going to rebuild without Goldschmidt. So you can rack up some, you know, wins in the division, you know, and get yourself, uh, put yourself in position for a wild card. Uh, you know, and that's to say, we'll see what happens with the Dodgers. You know, it wasn't like they were invincible. They had to, uh, you know, fight like heck just to win that division. And, uh, you know, in, in April, they look like one of the worst teams in baseball. Yeah, and the, and the Giants actually were in contention, so to speak, uh, and then September hit, and they they just cratered. And, of course, a lot of guys were shut down toward the year. Some key players were shut down for the year. But there was time there were five games over 500 uh, midway through the season. So they were better. And then, you know, a lot of things that happened to a lot of clubs, not necessarily the Giants, as far as the health and the injuries, they kind of cratered their season. But, you know, a lot of things have broken wrong for them, so so maybe they do break right this year. Uh, I think that, you know, that's where Daidi is doing the deep dive and how he can make this team better player by player, spot by spot on the roster. And I think at least they can make them incrementally better, more interesting, a little bit more competitive, and then you let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, you're right. In the, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of things went wrong. I mean, from Baumgartner's injury in spring training, like Gore, you never got on track. Uh, some Arger was hurt in spring training. Uh, you know, they didn't have a Melanson for a while. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, if, if everything goes right, they stay healthy and guys play up to the potential. Yeah, you never know. Uh, and then, yeah. I think the Giants with the resources they have, if uh, if things go right for them, hey, they'll start spending some money. They'll go after it. And I think this is franchise that if they were if they thought they were really close, you know, they would go after a uh, a Bryce Harper, but they just don't think they're that close. No. But, but yeah. if they're hanging around the trade deadline, I could see them going after something big. Well, yeah, I mean, they have done that, or at least tried to in the past. But uh, you know, what's going to have to happen is. Some, some of these bad contracts, these players are going to have to perform better. And maybe Longoria bounces back a little bit at a very slow start last year. And they, they've got to get more out of Melanson for sure because they, they can't deal him. We're going to just take a step back for a moment and talking about how slow developing the market is. And I believe that average player salaries actually went down last year by 3 or 4%. So with all this going on, what do you think it means as far as labor peace? In baseball in, in next year. Well, the uh, yeah the contract comes up after 2021, so you know in that year you know that the players wanted to they could go on strike, uh, but yeah the, the players and union are very upset, saying wait a minute now why is the salaries going down when the revenue is skyrocketing and the revenue now is you know uh, maybe around 11 billion dollars, uh, but yet the you know, salaries are are, are falling. You know, why doesn't Alex Rodriguez, uh, you know, get $250 million, $275 million? That was 10, 12 years ago. You know, when, you know, no one's, no one's seen that. I'm not even sure if Harper Machado would get that. You know, Stanton got that 13 year for 325. Mm-hmm. But we're just seeing the big contracts not, you know, being thrown out there. Uh, I think what the big problem is that teams, you know, they talk about the luxury tax. You know, it's a luxury tax, not a salary cap. Red Sox flew right past it and couldn't care less. Say, you know what? Uh, we'd rather worry about winning the World Series than paying, paying the tax. So uh, I think the players are going to, the union is going to have to say, 
you know what, we're going to have to have a, a bottom floor here. And before they said, well, we don't want that because we don't want to have a cap. But you got to make teams pay at least, you know, $125 million uh, payroll. And then, uh, you know, if you want, have, have a hard cap because that's the way teams are treating it now mm-hmm. uh, to, to do that. Because it's, it's a shame when, you know, when you talk about the slow-moving market way, it's tough when you have 10 or 12 teams who aren't trying to win. So why, yeah. why should they bother with the free agent market? <laughs> you know, you only got, uh, you know, two-thirds of the team prime. Yeah, yeah, that's been especially pronounced the last few years. I, I think it's something that's, that's on the rise and that's kind of brewing. It could be a problem uh, for this game if, if they don't change some things. And that, that may be up to individual teams. Uh, and there, there may be some of the union may look at that as collusion. I don't know if that's collusion or it's just a coincidence or a, or a consensus. But, you know, there are different words you can use, but it's going to be a problem, I think, in a couple of years. Uh, now, Bob, you uh, released your Hall of Fame ballot, and I always appreciate the writers that uh, are transparent about it. Uh, everybody's going to have a disagreement when you've got only 10 spots for the ballot, and there are a lot of guys who are pretty darn good and a lot of borderline cases, so there's going to be a lot of debate. But if I read your ballot correctly, you've got Bonds, Clemens, Halliday, Martinez, McGriff, Messina, Rivera, Schilling, Sheffield, and Vizquel. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct, Rick. Now, uh, I appreciate the Vizquel vote, and I know there's going to be a lot of debate about that because there's some intangible things as well as tangible specifically with him. And people who saw him play understand how brilliant he is. But uh, I also look at uh, a guy like Larry Walker or Scott Rowland, and you can make arguments for them. So uh, maybe you can uh, go through kind of your rationale and, and why you put Vescal on there and maybe not a guy like Rowland or Walker. You know, some of the eye test, Ray, but when I watch Omar Vescal play, I'm thinking, I'm, you know, as you see him in the press box and watching bank practice or whatever, uh, in the clubhouse, he was I'm watching a Hall of Fame player. He was just brilliant defensively. I mean, he was the uh, Ozzie Smith of his generation. This guy had about 20, you know, 2,877 hits. Yeah. So I'm really talking about 130 more hits, and people even had to be having an argument. The guy, you know, guy gets 3,000 hits? Of course he's in the Hall of Fame. So, uh, yeah, I, I think this guy is getting overlooked. He was on the ballot last year for the first time. I didn't have room for him. And I, I said, even last year, hey, from now on, I'm voting for him. I just, you know, I'm sure he'll get his 5% to stay on, and then did. Uh, Larry Walker, that his hit total bothers me. I mean, what Omar had about, what, 600, 700 more, uh, hits than Walker did. Walker only played more than 143 games once in his career. It's nice to put up numbers, but you gotta play to put up the numbers. And, uh, so, you know, I just thought he was short. You know, nice career. You know, I know the Coors Field thing and the road splits. Uh, yeah. you know, even playing Coors Field, he only had 330 home runs for a, you know, big time power hitter. So that was light uh, to me. Scott Rowland, I, I put him in the class, that very good ball player, but to me just wasn't a Hall of Famer, uh, but just a, a solid, solid guy. I never considered him as, you know, one of the elite, you know, not a you know, not a George Brad or Mike Smith, you know, those sort of things, or Chipper Jones even. Uh, you know, that the, the one guy I felt bad left off, and, and uh, if I get him on my belt next year, is Jeff Kent. Uh, I'm not saying I thought Kent was a Hall of Famer when I was watching him, but by the end of his career, when you look at those numbers, 
you know, it's probably the greatest offensive numbers by any second baseman ever. You know, one one of the best of all of all time. So he gets squeezed, but uh, I'll put him on my belt beginning next year. And Walker's last year in the belts next year. I'll take a maybe more of a hard look and might squeeze him in like I had Edgar Martinez for the first time this year. Uh, but I really feel strongly about you know the other guys, particularly uh, particularly Jonathan Clemens. I, I think it's a travesty they're not in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, for life of me, I can't understand why people say, uh, hey, I won't put those guys in, but I'll, I'll go ahead and vote for a, a Mike Piazza, a Jeff Bagwell, a Pedro Rodriguez, who have much, much more uh, links to steroids than, than Barnes and Clemens. I mean, Barnes and Clemens, all they did was help their teams win and, you know, put up historic numbers and everything else. They were never uh, suspended a, a day in baseball. So that's why I, I draw the line between those guys and a guy like a like a Manny Ramirez who was suspended twice, or right, right. I won't vote I won't vote for a uh, 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 an Alex Rodriguez or or a Robinson Gano. Uh, you know, they they hurt their teams by getting suspended. Uh, Sammy Sosa, right? he's not on your ballot either. You know, it's the first time that he wasn't on it, right? And he'll be back on it next year. I'm sure have room. I, I really wanted this scale on this thing in. Uh, I put Schilling on for the first time, too. My thing was, if I'm voting for Roy Holiday, how can I not put Schilling on? You know, whose wind tolls are about the same. Uh, yeah, I mean, Sosa, he hasn't come close at all. And I say, yeah, I'm, I'm like wasting a vote here because he's going to hover around 5 or 6% every year. Right. Uh, I think I think Sosa's a Hall of Fame guy, too. You know, and maybe with Bonds and Clemens, when they get in one day, Sosa will. I mean, Sosa's only linked to a uh, PD thing was anonymous, uh, drug, drug test in 2003. And there were probably 300 or 400 guys might have been on that list. Who knows? Who knows if this is, was even a false positive. But yeah, I feel bad about him, but he has not come close at all. And, uh, for the guy who hit that many home runs and, hey, he and, he and McGuire, you know, two guys that, that did help save the, the game of baseball with that home run race, uh, you know, in, in 98. Yeah, and baseball looked the other way on steroids for years, and that's what people have to remember. And I, and I think also uh, what fans may not quite understand is writers have to strategize this, and you 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 just laid out a little strategy that you have to kind of farm out your votes because you only have ten that you can choose. Do you think that should change? Yeah, I, I kind of like the number, uh, Ray. I mean, it, was, yeah, it wasn't until about five, six years ago where everybody was voting for only three or four guys. It's just we're such a great era of baseball and so many great numbers. I think the uh, ballot got, you know, uh, made, made it tougher. Uh, it was only like, like the last three years I voted for the maximum. And probably the same for most of my uh, brethren uh, that have uh, ballots. Uh, but I like it, that. I think if you said unlimited or if you said 15 or 20, I think then people check off too many boxes. And that is the beauty of baseball is that, Hey, it's the hardest Hall of Fame to get into, you know, much tougher than NFL or, or NBA, which I think is good. Well, yeah, and uh, the other problem is you've got a lot of guys that are 50-50, that are right on the borderline, have very strong careers, and, and you can make that argument for and against. And, for example, Larry Walker. Uh, you know, my, my difference is I'd probably put in Walker and not Sheffield. Otherwise, I agree with your ballot, but that's, that's part of the deal, right? I mean, you've got a bunch of these guys that are right there, and, you know, we make the snarky remark of the Hall of Very Good. Uh, well, the Hall of Very Good is pretty damn good for the guys you leave out. 
I think that's where we are right now. There's just a whole bunch of guys that are right there. Yeah, there are. And and I think a guy that gets uh you know, bypassed every single year is Fred McGriff. I'll put Fred McGriff ahead of yeah. uh Edgar Martinez and Larry Walker and all these guys. I mean he had four hundred and three home runs, about you know, uh uh um about fifteen hundred ribbies, more you know, more home runs, ribbies, runs than all these guys we're talking about. But he gets overlooked by because he did his PEDs. And his numbers were uh, the 30 and 100 weren't, you know, 40 and 140. So o- overlooked. Uh, I'm sure he'll get in by, by the Veterans Committee. But I think of all these guys, you know, no one gets a more of a, a rod deal than Fred McGriff. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, can I give you one more that's, you know, beyond the vote now and beyond the Veterans Committee that I think should be in is Tommy John? And you know, for what he did on the field, but also for what he did in the history of this game and for the careers of so many pitchers, I think it's just personal because I was actually at the ballpark the night that he walked off the mound and he said, oh, yeah, I can't, there's nothing there. I, I, I can't throw. And he, he maybe had no idea at the time what his future was going to be. And, you know, he was the canary in the coal, coal mine, and he, I think he won 160 games after the surgery. So it's not just that he had the surgery, but what he did afterwards to be the kind of athlete who could make that surgery work and, and show the way for, for other pitchers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, he hasn't got much traction in the veterans committee. I'm surprised. Yeah. But yeah, with his wind tools and everything else, you know, uh, the Professional Scout Foundation is honoring him and Jamie Moyer, uh, you know, at least two of the honorees, along with that. Uh, Couple of Hall of Famers and Jim Tomey and Frank Thomas at this Professional Scouts Foundation dinner uh, uh, next weekend. And uh, you're right, uh, what what he's meant to the game and everything else. And you know, like you said, the, the Tommy John surgery. Now, I'm surprised he, uh, you know, isn't getting a closer look by the Veterans Committee. Uh, you know, like I say, he's been off the ballot for Veterans Ball for quite some time, but it doesn't make sense for him to be off it. You know, uh, yeah. off the uh, Veterans Committee like he is. Yeah, I'm just going to keep pounding that drum. I pounded the drum for uh, for Rock Reigns and for Barry Larkin for years, and they finally listened, so maybe they'll listen to, for, for Tommy John at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, Rock Reigns was a late, yeah, was a late one. I mean, uh, yeah. no, Larkin was a, you know, he got in quickly, but Reigns is almost a, uh, like, last bell, I believe, right? That's right, that's right. Yeah, so, nobody, nobody's paying attention. Yeah, better late than never. Unless you're the guy who has to wait every year, it's, it's got to be painful. But uh, other than that, I'm glad, glad they finally got him in. Hey, Bob, great chatting with you today. Hopefully, we can do it again in the future. Maybe we'll see you out there at some point in Arizona during spring training. Okay, I should look forward to it. Thanks, All right, Ray. thank you, Bob. Bob Nightingale, USA Today on Triple Alley Report. All right, thanks to Bob Nightingale for joining us. Always uh, glad to chat with him about baseball and free agency. And uh, maybe the next time we talk to you, we'll have some Giants news. Probably not. Maybe in the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime, we'll keep tabs on it. And I want to let you know that, uh, as we mentioned last time, Blue Wire Pods family is growing. We've got podcasts in more cities, more content, more teams. And that includes blogs that you can find at bluewirepods.com. So check it out. Uh, It's been fun to be on the ground floor of it, and it's real fun to see this grow over the last five or six months. And 2019 is going to be a big year for us. So uh, check it out at bluewirepods.com and check us out next week on Triple's Alley Report.